this episode addresses music education on multiple levels. So I thought it might be a good time to announce the founding of my new venture, HolisticPianoAcademy.com. Um, I realise it's raining coaches out there, but I'd like to thank my 22 plus years of experience as a professional musician and interdisciplinary artist slash educator. I'm more recently certified fitness coach and therapist as a combined skill set I could use to help people and contribute to the ecosystem in a manner that feels authentic and fulfilling. I'll be keeping you abreast of further developments with regards to the holisticpianoacademy.com. In the meantime, do feel free to drop in and have a look at what we do. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. The biography of Stefan Maas reads like the who's who list of contemporary jazz and popular music from the past two decades. The very unique approaches the Bavarian-bred part-time Viennese musician has adopted to its playing multi-percussion, producing music and being an educator is an inspiring insight into the mind of an extremely sensitive, intelligent and deep thinker. Without much further ado, Stefan Maas. And we are rolling. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine. The sun is shining and, and it, yeah, feels, life feels good. I mean, as good as it can be at the moment, but uh, I'm always happy if the sun is shining. That helps me. <laughs> totally with you on that. It's also so lovely to hear someone say that in these times. Life is good, life feels good. I'm very grateful for you to use those words. Yeah, you have to do the best out of it. So um, it, it's sometimes I have this, this one hour complaining thing. But it's it's rarely in the meantime. <laughs> wow, I'm 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 in deep respect of you for being able to restrict it to one hour. Yeah, but because it's more healthy, I tell you. <laughs> I believe you, sir. <laughs> um, you're actually uh, one of the very first uh, artists to come onto this podcast who, who I've never had the honor to meet in person. We do, however, have a common collaborator, Bernard Schimpelsberger, shout out mm-hmm. to Bernard, with whom um, we were both on this project called Rhythm Diaries. And that's the first time I was um, made privy to your work and your mastery. Um, with your permission, I'd like to dive right in a little into your history because you're a veteran musician and I'm actually at one of, one of Meinl's websites going through your bio it reads like the who's who of the German and European music scene. It's slightly intimidating, to be absolutely honest. When I read this, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I didn't read this earlier on. I would have been a little more nervous than I already am getting <laughs> <him> on. <laughs> oh, no reason for that. So, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I look at these names and it's, uh, wow, it's, uh, it's super, super impressive. But I feel like a digress. Could we just start from the very beginning? Um, mm. at, at the risk of sounding like a very cliched music journalist, when did music begin for you? I would say when I was um, around 12 years old. I, I, I got a very small record player from my uncle and he gave me um, 
some of his records and most of these records were from Pink Floyd and I really loved them. And so that was the beginning. So where I grew up, so my parents were listening more to classical music sometimes. They were not so much in, in, in music really. So no nobody played an instrument and um, so I, I I was listening to Pink Floyd. So I, I remember that was the first real impact uh, uh, for me. I really fell in love with their music and and this this atmosphere they were creating. And um, a little later, I started to play a little drums. So I had some lessons, and uh, it took a while that I got a, a little drum set. And I remember I was really happy. Half a year later, I saw a band playing in, at my school, and I really, I really wanted to play in this band. I thought that's really cool. And unfortunately, my teacher played drums in that band, so the chance to get in seemed to be very, very small, but they mm -hmm. offered me to play percussion. And at that time, I didn't even know what that is. So uh, they, they explained it to me and, was, and gave me records and cassette tapes with with uh, stuff from Santana and all that. And, and I started listening to that. And a little bit later, I... I uh, uh, took my first conga lesson and and I really enjoyed that but at this time it was really hard to find a teacher I can imagine for these instruments yeah there were not so many in Germany if you live grow up in Bavaria percussion is not not an instrument you find on every corner especially Latin percussion could we say that you're probably the first generation of legit European Latin percussionists <sighs> Yeah, in a way, I'm I'm 43 now, and, and look, Roland Pyle, we, we that's that's the generation that came up with these instruments, mm -hmm. and it was one generation before it was Nippi Neuer who was playing all the all the gigs in in Germany and Netherlands and so on, and, and I was really impressed, and you sometimes see him playing if. if if you watch on on TV, old old TV shows, uh, German TV shows, huh. you see him playing as a young man with Bert Kempfert, and uh, yeah, it was rarely that somebody played percussion, and and um, but that's the way it started, and and some months later, I just could play two two grooves on the congress. I played with this band I wanted to play, and that that was the beginning. So hmm. and I never stopped since. So. That's the way it started. <laughs> Beautiful. And that was when you were uh, 12 as well, or was it a little later? No, I was then, it was a little later. So I was uh, at these concerts, I was 15. Right. Well, to start off with, I just, uh, just, just to, on, on a side note, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan as well. It's one of yeah, my... Yeah, I still are. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, they, they so, were one of the first bands I started off as well um, with as well. So timeless. I Amazing. know, right? I mean, even what, 40 years later, it's, it's like uh, they're still like totally on top of the game if i mean from a mm. recording point of view it's just yeah um uh, it's also had a very very huge impact on my songwriting um actually they're very 
uh, underrated as songwriters, in my opinion. People forget. Uh, you people usually just associate Pink Floyd with all these, with, with the atmosphere, which is you know giant. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, at the core of it is some really solid songwriting, which people sometimes tend to forget or not associate at the at the drop of a hat. So here's a question: A 15 year old boy, when he's told off to play percussion instead of drummer, a lot of them would. Uh, uh, feel like they're being assistant to the drummer. But h- how was your reaction as a teenager not sitting at the drum kit, but sitting on what is often looked upon as only a subsidiary part of the rhythm section? I, I, I didn't feel like that. And and the next band I was in, they didn't have a drummer. So there were two percussion players. And that was very interesting too. Awesome. So I was, yeah, I started there with 16 and recorded with them, I recorded my first album ever, so it was the first time in the studio with them, and and um, my first teacher was in this band, and um, so there weren't the functions a drummer had, so we had to find out how to deal with that, playing double congas things, and one plays congas, the other one played shakers, and small percussions, all all this stuff, because I mean. It's it's not like nowadays that you go on YouTube and find some things and how to do this and how to do that. So we we try to listen to records and check out things from the records. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, there was a record from from Joni Mitchell, a live album, Shadows and Lights. Oh my God! Yes. We, that was really inspiring yeah. for us for this band at that time. And uh, Don Elias was Don Elias, playing yeah. on this one. Yeah, yeah wonderful, amazing, yeah. amazing musician. Yeah, those were, uh, I mean, again, wow. You first Pink Floyd and then Shadows and Light. That's actually, again, one of the top five records, who, which has been one of the most influential for me uh, as a music consumer and musician as well. I, I, It's, in a way, for me, when I think of the record, uh, it referred to so many possibilities for me personally it's like a golden era where people were just like the world's best songwriter was playing with the world's best guitar player and the world's best bass player the world's best drummer and percussion it's the kind of thing Mm. you i was hoping you know one would hope at the time even though i wasn't actually i don't know which year was that the shadows and light um it was probably before i was born in fact but I think what was it seventy nine? I think seventy nine. Okay, so the year of my I, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah. So uh, sorry, I had to go on go on a tangential there. Hearing you speak about shadows and light, apologies. <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt your flow. Um, yeah. Um, so it sounds like you had very good, like very inspiring. Um, what's the forebuilder? I'm thinking in German now. Um, mm-hmm. For our non-German-speaking uh, audiences, what would how would Vorbilder best translate? Probably as a role models. Role models. Thank you, yeah, so much. Thank like you, sir. Role models. Role models yeah. You had fantastic <laughs> role models from the very beginning. I say this because I I grew up around percussionists. My first mentor ever was a Latin percussionist who was completely self-taught, and he learned of mm-hmm. records as well. And um, um, he would have been in his late 50s now if he were alive. 
uh, and then I grew up on the stories about how he'd, you know, kind of hunt for these records and learn off that and learn his first Timbao techniques and just have no teaching whatsoever. And um, he was in a city um, which had nothing to do with Latin music per se, And but then when people from Latin America would come travel and hear him play, they couldn't believe that he'd never had a lesson or just grew up mm. here. Um, he used to be a minor artist too. He was a minor artist's first, uh, minor percussion's first Indian in Dorsey. Before oh, was, great. Yeah, um, um, mm -hmm. um, so when, he, when I hear you speak of, about how, how nascent the access to music education with percussion as your main instrument was, it really reminds me a lot of some of the story you used to say. So may I request you to elaborate a little more on, on these years? How did you build upon your education to master the instrument the way you have? Um, it was, I, I was always playing, playing and playing to records and playing live and listen to records. And I was listening, there were some records I was listening over and over and over and over. And, and, and it was so exciting for me to, to develop things and start to hear things. I remember, um, for example, a, a record that is still very important for me is, and I still like to listen uh, to, is the, was the first album of Lyle Mays, his first solo album. And um, Nana Vasconcelos was on, playing percussion on this one, and Alex Acuna was playing drums. And it was so exciting for me because I, I, I didn't understand what they did and how they did it. And it was so much, so much atmospheric things from from none of us contelos so i had to listen really deeply to 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 realize what happens in the music and sometimes still nowadays i hear some little details and think oh that's nice how did he do that and that's so tasteful things like that was the first time that that um i was listening to a percussion player who did not do um let me say it like that, who did not do the obvious things. Like if, if you play, if you listen to Santana, it was exciting and it was all, all the congas and bongas and tibales going on. And it's always the exciting thing. And, and that's, that thing Nana did was this little sounds and you didn't, didn't even know sometimes that it's a percussion instrument. So I had to learn which kind of instrument did he use and what sound is that and what does he do with it and does he sing or does he play an instrument and it was so tasteful and 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 made this great atmosphere and, and this excitement and the music and uh, i really liked that and still like that and and that was a that had a big impact on me too Man, I don't know what's up today. That that Lyle Mills album—that's another. Like, you're probably next gonna quote uh, kind of blue or something, even though that doesn't have percussions. Because <laughs> you're literally quoting my top ten records of all time. You start off with Pink Floyd and then Shadows and Light and now Lyle Mills, who's like probably my <laughs> up along with Herbie Hancock is probably my favorite mm -hmm. piano player ever. And that album is also just so, so gorgeous. I literally, I, I heard it yesterday. Uh, I was listening to it yesterday. Mm. Yeah, I listen to it. I think I listen to it at least a couple of times a month because I'm constantly studying this stuff. It's it's like infinitely deep and not just the piano mm -hmm. playing, but 
the entire band this was before any form of digital uh, you know no doors were being used i i love the concept and and i still love this kind of thing it's a story within the story exactly and uh, a whole a whole cosmos that opens up Absolutely. so it's not just playing it's it's a painting thing it's all connected together like film or painting or whatever you think about and and that's what I liked. So there's so 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 you put on your headphones and you go on this trip. That's amazing. That's simply amazing. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. I, I was just trying to think back to the process of how a record like that was probably recorded and thinking about the amount of thought that went into making sounds like those in that time because at the risk of sounding making a blanket statement on a technical level like like a tech like product producing technical level recreating a lot of those sounds in this day and age would probably be a lot easier than it was mm. uh, in the 70s with the kind of tools they were using so i sometimes wonder about how much time they'd spend visualizing and like having that vision to create Mm -hmm. These were the first people making sounds like these, soundscapes like these. I mean, the amount of vision that was involved, including uh, Nana Vasconcelos and Alex Acuna. It was also, correct me if I'm wrong, breaking boundaries in context of how a drummer or a percussionist is even supposed to fit in in a context like that. I think the, what, what I liked on it is, is, is as you said, if, if you bring people together that have the same vision. I think that's a very important thing that can think outside the box. I always think in these painting things and that was in this album too very much. So it was not uh, the drumming aspect of everybody involved. It, it was something else too. And, and um, that's a very important point for me there. I appreciate the energy of what you're saying. May I request you to elaborate a little more on that? Yeah, um, I realized when I started to play professional that percussion can be a wild card. So if you play Afro-Cuban stuff, there's roles that percussion has to fulfill. So there are the patterns, you have the technique and the sound, and it's a very clear thing. If you go... To other music, you, you can have so many different roles. There's a lot of freedom, and it's it's always a challenge to, to use that freedom. And, and that was a very important fact for me when I heard this record, because there was a lot of freedom in creating something that was not too much fixed in a role. Even the guitars or on, on these productions were not like guitars. It had, had different roles. And as a percussion player, I realized when I go to to a recording session and um, just think in in conga patterns, that doesn't work out. It might work out in a certain percentage of, of the productions, but I had to come with with other ideas too that make the the, the track the tune sound better. And uh, so I had to find other ways of expression. And uh, find find finding your own place in, in in the production, and nowadays it's for me like 
I wouldn't say it's simple, but there are certain factors I think about when I start to record. And, um, and, and the only thing that is important for me is that the music sounds better afterwards. I do not want to put something on the music, like you put something on a table or something, you put a pattern on it or a sound. If if I have the feeling it's inside the music, that sounds maybe a little bit weird, but if it's inside the music and it has an impact in the music, that's my goal. And when I still listen, for example, back to this album, everybody at every time of this album did do this. What are your tools, if I may, for lack of a better term, to find where that sweet spot is to make the kind of impact you look for? I think um, it's, it's like a vocabulary. You, you, you learn a vocabulary over the years mm-hmm. and um, you try out certain things. First, I have to get into uh, into the music according groove, according phrasing, and then I check out what do I have to support in the music. I think that's a learning process because it can be sometimes a little movement from shakers or little toy things. Um, it it can be just it, it, sometimes it's you have a good good pattern on bongos or congas. But you have to to make it thinner because it takes a lot of space in the music, mm-hmm. and then you start to to play just maybe I don't know thirty percent of this pattern, and all of a sudden it fits. So there are so many possibilities to 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 check out things that that work in the music, but you have to, or I try to sometimes leave behind uh, the things I learned. Mm, I think you say something very, very valuable there, uh, which I'd, if with your permission, again, like to stress upon for our listeners as well. You are leaving behind, and well, choosing to leave behind things you have learned. And um, mm-hmm. there's a vast difference between choosing to leave something you have learned than choosing to leave something you haven't really learned. Would you comment on that? Um, yeah, but that's very hard to decide on on what is what sometimes. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So I'd love to have your input on this. I think the reason your choice of space uh, has a certain intensity and integrity to it because you're more aware of what exactly it is you're leaving out. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just went and played a random thing, I'm, I'm, I can't help but wonder if it would have the same impact or the same, or if that kind of an approach would have an impact. I'm saying this, I'm, I'm saying this, I'll just tell you where I'm coming from, okay? I grew up with mm-hmm. so many pseudo-percussionists around me. It, it, it kind of did traumatize me a little. I did grow up with legit percussionists and then spend the second phase of my life being around people who just random singers and drummers and every now and then some backing vocalists would just start shaking a shaker and say, oh, I play percussion. And mm-hmm. I'm not judging that space. I think in certain musical situations, that's, it, has, it plays its role as well. It can be very legit. But I do find, in my opinion, I think for some reason, uh, percussionists have 
in a lot of circles, didn't get the degree of respect they actually deserved. I'm not pointing fingers here, but it seems like a general mm-hmm. trend, which is why I just wanted to kind of jump in there and add a few thoughts to my listeners. I'm not uh, countering what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a huge difference when a master like you decides to leave something out uh, as opposed to someone who hasn't mastered what you have in mm. thoughts. Mm. Or am I being too um, draconic? No, I think it's um, it's a very complex thing. So I learned it. I learned to, to, to put it into a concept somehow when I started to teach. Mm-hmm. So I had to I had to rethink a lot of things I do maybe more or less naturally because mm-hmm. I do it for years and um, quite a lot of things are um, let's say quite abstract so it takes a, a long time to to learn to play a shaker for example mm-hmm. to realize what impact a shaker can have in the music. So that's a very important thing. Yes. A lot of people this a lot of people talk about groove and, and and groove is such a complex and very personal thing yes. that it takes quite a while to, to to learn and listen to things like that and get get control over it. The same thing is with sounds and, and taste, let's call it aesthetics. And it's a quite a quite abstract thing. So I, I realized a lot of times students came and they wanted to have concrete patterns. So what do the question was, what do I have to practice to get a good percussion player? And they're for sure are like in drums or, or in any other instrument, there's some there are some technical things you have to learn and you have to study, you have to practice and so on. The first thing I realized was that I never had this thing that I practiced. I remember one time in my life for maybe a week or two, I started to practice on a practice pad I, I did uh, with, with the drumsticks. Hmm. And it was so it, it was boring for me in a way. So I, I turned on the TV and later on I realized you, you can't do that. You, that's impossible. So the result years later for me was everything that is in a, in a practicing process should be music. So what a lot of my students didn't realize in the beginning, for me, there is no practicing. It, it should sound, you have to mean it. Mm. Very simple. Because... I realized, for example, when I was when I was starting to teach, that's a lot of times it's very simple things that that are not happening. So when I have a group of maybe ten people who never played that, and we do some some easy coordination things with a shaker, and the left hand plays maybe just quarter notes. So you have to create something. It's not just something you practice. You have to create something. Mm-hmm. And if you start to do that and everybody around creates something too and starts to learn to listen and the listening gets better and better and better, at a certain point, the whole group is grooving. They realize what they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the point of vision they should get because that's the point they're able, hopefully able to go there more often and maybe one day daily. And that's the important point for me. So you have to have a vision how it should sound. If, if, if you don't have the vision, you keep playing around and it's, it's not happening. And all this is important. So it's not only about patterns and, and learning the right technique. You have to learn what does it do and what can you do with it? What changes if you change little things? It's not always the big thing you have to change. Yeah, that totally resonates with me. It's like the difference between learning the alphabet and actually writing poetry. Right. Absolutely. Big learning process was for me when I was young. I, I very often said, "Oh yeah, I can play that." Do I, I? I went to concerts and said, "Why? Why am I not playing in this band?" So because I can play it technically, but I didn't understand what the different was because I didn't hear it. it. Took quite a while to learn this hearing. When I listened back to some music where I said, okay, it's, it's a very simple drum beat, a percussion thing. When I listen to that now, it's so hard to play to make a song sound like that, that you have the feeling, don't change anything. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to add to that. Don't touch it. It's, the, it's fantastic. You can't do it better. What do you think changed between that Stefan, the younger Stefan, who felt the need to play more complex stuff and the Stefan who sits, you know, content and confident in playing lesser and knowing that it's enough? I think it's uh, very hard to learn to listen. It's more, it, it has to do, I think, with, with a lot of awareness it has to do with um, the ability or uh, wisdom is, is, a, is a very, very big word. But if you slowly, very slowly come closer to something like that, it's not important anymore to do the home run mm. and um, to, be, to develop as a person. That's, I think that's the point. Um, it's not just... A, that you develop as an instrumentalist, you have to develop as a person too. I agree. So that you see what is really important and, and that you have the, the, the strength in yourself to, to decide that's important now for me in this music and not this one. And I don't have to show off. I think that the learning process for me that people might don't like what you do. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah, please talk to us a little more about that. When when did you find peace with that? Just the realization that there'll always be people who won't necessarily like what you do. It took a while. Um, looking back now, is there were so many people who paid me for that what I do. So I thought, okay, it 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 can't be so wrong, you know, <laughs> and. Um, Especially if you have like like on, on, on instruments like congas, then people said, oh, that's not the proper technique and you have to do it like this and you have to do it like that. And in the beginning, it, I, I felt, I, I really felt bad because that's that was the way I play and that was the way I went without 
so many teachers without studying in a in a classical way and and um, and it was my sound it fitted in several music and people were happy when 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 I left the studio but it it took a long time to stand that now I see it from another point because um Amazingly, a lot of musicians sometimes don't realize, maybe it sounds a little bit snobbish, but um, I think sometimes when I talk to musicians who say, okay, but you don't play it the right way. And I say, yeah, but if, if it fits in the music, it's the right way for me. And um, I sometimes see that some even musicians are sometimes very strict what what is allowed and what's not allowed hmm. and um so they they set themselves borders and that's i i i don't want to set myself borders i don't think in this way I'm a little confused. Are you saying there are people who uh, question your technical technical? I, I yeah yeah I had that. Wow, that is so hard for me to imagine. That's some years ago. So um, people thought, yeah, that's the proper way to do it because that's the tradition on this instrument, and you have to do it like that. So it's very simple. That happened to me, and and it's it's okay when somebody says, okay, that's, I I I would agree to that. But there's a reason why I do it the way I do it. I came to a point in my life as a as a, a professional percussion player with these instruments uh, that I said, okay, I'm I'm not from Cuba and I'm not Brazilian and I'm not African. I grew up in Germany. That's the point, and I grew up with other music, but I love these instruments instruments and I want to play them and I give respect to the tradition but I will never play like somebody from Cuba because I didn't grow up with this music I love that music but I give my let's say that's a big word too maybe but my musical vision on instruments I I, I transfer it with these instruments and um that was that was my goal and still is my goal because I came in so many musical situations, as I said before, where you had where I had to forget a lot of things I learned or practiced or I was listening to. Hmm. I remember working for some electronic guys like Krude and Dovmeister in Vienna the first time, yeah. and they wanted things from me and I, I didn't really understand in the beginning what they wanted. But they wanted me to forget everything I did. I offered them so, and they sung things to me. And can you do this? And I need this sound. And play maybe put all your instruments on the floor and start to play with that. And 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 that's the creative approach I like. So I don't want to have these borders. That's beautiful. Could you talk to us a little more about that, that experience working with Crude and Dorfmeister? I mean, they're masters of what they do. So what was it like working in that very abstract space wherein you're basically being called to stretch upon the entire conceptualization of what a percussion instrument is even supposed to sound like? And which year was this? Um, I, I started to do this 
kind of things or it came in context around mid 90s and and uh there was a big scene in vienna at that time yeah. doing this the downbeat new jazz uh trip hop kind of things yeah i'm st still nowadays don't know the exact description of this kind of music um, I'm not sure anyone does, to be honest. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they were very ahead of their time. It was just a absolutely a melting absolutely. pot of just you know trying shit out without necessarily without any judgment, and I love that vibe around them. Um, yeah, could you tell us a little more how that experience was? Yeah, it was like that. That I said, okay, uh, all of a sudden it was not important to play conga patterns or things like that, or the the uh, congas or bongos or whatever in, in in a proper tuning they wanted to have this this atmospheric things this color thing was much more important and mm. um, it was not about the proper technique played on this instrument there were aspects of it but they thought in other concepts and all if if i still liked Nowadays, this combination, I'm, I'm really addicted to electronic music because there's so many interesting things happening in this music. And I always like to put, and I do it with my little videos sometimes, put yeah. um, some things in this in this context and, and, and check out what works in this context or what, what fits in or what do you have to change that it fits in and is not like a... Like a uh, not as I said before, just put on top of it, mm. and that's that's uh, that started at this time, and at, and I have to admit that I was quite uh, confused in the beginning um, what they wanted from me, and um, this uh, confusing moments uh, they came in my life uh, at, at certain points, so there's another thing later, but um, I had to change again my, so my concept for this music or my, um, I had to forget all these, this stuff I practiced up to this point. And I had to find another way to play things or even less or other sounds and, and then they took it and built build up some things in, in, in their music with that. And um, a very important <clears throat> point I learned is um, to think with effects. Up to that point, I just thought, okay, you record something and it should sound like it sounds naturally. It, that's the sound you use in the recording. So you have to good, have to have a good sound, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I, I learned that that uh, it was very important to think in other c categories. So what do you what kind of effects do you use on the percussion instrument, or and 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 how to put it in this if you if you think in a kind of stereo three D design. So some things of very, very far away. And then all these percussion instruments and patterns to get their, their place and their space in the music. But it's not all in front of the music. It can be far away or it can just be like a whatever or a something like that. Yeah. Just a little thing that happens. I was not able to do it in the beginning. 
to think in these categories and choose the sounds that they would fit in in their thoughts with their effects. That was the learning process, I would say. Beautiful. I like how you use the terminology 3D, which um, kind of, in a way, is the ultimate... Um well, maybe I'm not sure if it's the ultimate, but definitely an aspect to music which um, we tend to forget. That music isn't just uh, you know it's it's a dimensional experience. It's not mm -hmm. a it's not a linear experience. It is it is a dimensional experience. It kind of does connect you to something which is not linear per se. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, can't help but notice that you often make a lot of visual references, color painting is that something you've always included in your approach consciously yes could you tell us more about that yes that started at at this point working with um, more musicians that came from the electronic side mm -hmm. and very often these people were not educated musicians so they they found their own way of expressions and and there are other rules, maybe if you uh, if you start to produce music for clubs and all that. Mm -hmm. But what I liked is this aspect of a story that so the sounds can be like a little door opener to a, for a short moment for another atmosphere, for another story that begins but stops suddenly. Things like that. So something happens in the music and you're listening to it and you realize there is something, but it, it disappears again. So it's not it's not this um, approach that you start playing from, from bar one till till the coda and, and play through. That needs a lot of overview and um, you have to learn and realize the construction of the music to get into that stuff so that you realize where 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 where's a starting point for another atmosphere where's a starting point for um, for for a new groove aspect and hmm. and how long is it and is it very close to to the listener or is it more far away which which uh, gives another feeling or another meaning things like more deepness and a little bit excitement but not obvious so that's what i mean with these 3d things so i started to 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 learn my instruments new in a way what can i do with these instruments effect wise how are they, where are they, put a lot of reverb on it, just a little delay or whatever. So it, it, um, so I could offer this to producers too, hmm. to say, okay, this, we, we could do it like that. And maybe you put now, you put some reverb on it and it's quite far away and it doesn't have to be very loud. And you see there's a, uh, suddenly there's a, deepness opening in, in, in the song and, and and lifts up maybe the, the, the chorus or whatever. Beautiful. So, as I said in the beginning, it, it, it doesn't have to be always very obvious what you do for the listener, but things happen and the listener feels it's more an emotional thing maybe. Hmm. How do you pick up on, on the right methods to 
you approach? Do you go about it? Uh, I'm I'm kind of assuming from from the vibe of what you say that it's 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 all an intuitive process. Uh, yeah, yeah. But is there like a? It's it's sometimes even coincidental. Yeah. So I, it I believe uh, you. it's it's like what happens when I when I go from very right to very left, and what happens in the music then? And if you know these possibilities, you can. Um, you have another plan apart from the groove side of your work. Mm. In a way, you're arranging the song or you, you, you do a little bit of producing in the song. So you, you give aspects to the composer or producer. So you've kind of always been in the producer headspace. In fact, when one Googles you, what comes up is producer to describe your um, profile. Have you always taught like a producer? Or was that something um, that developed over the years through your journey? That that developed, for example, when I moved to Vienna, mm -hmm. I I was very often confronted with the with the um, that musicians in the studio said, okay, uh, percussion, no, we don't need percussion because percussion is a tambourine and the chorus and maybe a quarter cowbell somewhere else. Right. Just to just to clarify that was the school of thought I was I was trying yeah. to pick my bones with. <laughs> just so you know. So that's the school <laughs> of thought that I've been always yeah, I've had my issues with. But keep going, I interrupt you. Yeah, no, but but that's 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 right. So that is that, that's the point and 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 if you come with congress and they say oh no, no forget it. That's latin. Exactly. So it's yeah. the it's this categorizing mm -hmm. and stereotyping yeah yeah and um the only chance i had to 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 go on with that is that i offered opportunities and i said oh that that sounds nice that's interesting and that works and um so they came together then slowly and and they knew then years later when i come into the studio there's there's an offer to the music and they can take it or not that's what i like in my job that i can do it now that i can offer something Beautiful. and in the best case so now for example nowadays in in, in this times with corona sometimes people just send it to me and, and say do something hmm. and that's amazing that's that's so much freedom and it can fail but it can be perfect And if they then call back and say, oh, we're happy. We were listening to the tracks now. That's great. We love it. So that makes me happy. Beautiful. Very simple. Beautiful. This is going to get really interesting now, because from what I gather from what you've told me till now, you faced resistance with regards to the technique and your approach to your instruments. And today you find yourself in a circle of institutionalized academic method, which is a whole different, well, can be a whole different can of worms um, in some mm -hmm. cases. Um, how, when did that start happening? And how do you feel in these circles? I did, I always did workshops. Right. And um, I started, it was a long learning process too. Because I never studied in a classical way, as what I said before, because you could not study that. Right. So I, I thought about studying classic classical percussion, mm -hmm. uh, orchestra percussion, and and I went in and and had a look, and I realized 
no, that's not my world. That's not not the thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I have respect uh, for that. Uh, it's very special for 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 timpani player. That's, that's really wow. Yeah. Um, but but it it was never the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to play in bands and studios, and that's what I wanted. So you've been completely self-taught. I had I had uh, at at certain points in my life there were some teachers for a while. Gotcha. Not very long. Gotcha. I had one teacher in 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 the very beginning, mm -hmm. and then I had some lessons uh, in the. And uh, in the 80s with Freddy Santiago, who was living in a, in a village quite close to my village where I grew up. Huh. And he was a fantastic player and he showed me some things. I had some lessons with Alex Acuna when he was touring. And But I think that was it. I was listening to music and playing and doing things wrong and learned out of it, hopefully. Beautiful. <laughs> I, do, beautiful. I do some things still. I do some things. I still do them wrong in a way. <laughs> it's interesting how, uh, and I'm, I'm, I might make some enemies here, it's interesting how this school of uh, uh, teaching uh, has and it's t today categorized as the unconventional part, whereas in <laughs> musical traditions uh, that have uh, survived um, thousands of years, this was the way music was taught. Mm -hmm. Institutionalized education, the way we know it, is very, very young in comparison. Like it's a baby in comparison to these traditions. Yeah. The methods in, with which you learned. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. There were two two reasons why I uh, started teaching. So I thought it's it's an interesting thing and very simple. I don't want to to depend on playing the rest of my life. So and the other thing was, as you said before, this kind of percussion still is not very um, accepted. Hmm. So there's still things you have to build up and, and, and try to get respect. So it was consequent to put it in this um, academic circle. That was very important for me. And I was the first in Austria who teaches that and still am. Beautiful. But on the other hand, I, I still sometimes have uh, the feeling I'm... I wouldn't say I'm wrong at this place, but I have... Uh, there are these two sides, as you said. So you, you put it into a form, and on the other hand, you shouldn't do it. Uh, you shouldn't put it in the form. So yeah. that's quite ambivalent. And mm. I realize that's the main thing I try to teach my students. So they have to get the skills very simple. They have to have to be able when they get out that they play concerts. They know what to do. Uh, they should read music and they should be able to teach and uh, have a concept for that. But on the other hand, um, have in mind to be creative. And I think if I have a look at this developments in the world nowadays, starting with digital, uh, digital, all this digital stuff coming up, end of the 90s, beginning 2000s, so the whole music industry changed. Um, and the music industry will change again with, with uh, artificial intelligence and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. So I think um, 
the aspect of creativity, not virtuosity, is for me more important. So the creative approach to music, from my very personal point of view, will be very important. You have to be a creative person. And uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, a main goal in, in my teaching. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this opportunity and put it on the spot. I'm sorry I'm doing this, but I, I know you're gonna have some really interesting say things to say about this. Please um, tell us how you define virtuosity and how you define creativity. Um, creativity for me as a musician is that I that I'm able to start with this white paper in the music every time mm. and try to avoid, at least try to avoid, um, to fall back in stereotypes too much. And um, I think that's, that's a good way for me and I see it with my students to find, in the best case, to find your own signature and you find um, the opportunity for yourself to continuously learn mm. um, and are um, and continuously are open for new things. So, and try to to connect to influences from the outside to other art forms and 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 see that you're able to to abstract things i think that would would uh, would would describe it in a short way so so authenticity connection and openness broad mindedness did i pick up yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense to me don't think in categ categories like played right yes if yeah sometimes that that's that's a very important thing that people are so so busy to play things right whatever yeah. that means I know, right? that they don't come to the point yes i found myself on both sides of the coin i found myself being the person who's struggling to live up to someone else's expectations of what right is and 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 feel the pain of that i've also found myself being the one who's judging someone else's degree of correctness so i know mm. it's an easy trap to fall for and it's uh, you know and a lot of the times i haven't even realized i was playing that role and it's taken me ages and it's obviously still a work in progress mm. what i'm working on right now is compassion um, for just uh, compassion i mean compassion is like a huge like a umbrella term but compassion generally for uh, situations and remembering that you know trying to see myself in the other person mm -hmm. just to remind myself not to judge as a knee-jerk reaction if that makes any sense mm -hmm. and how do you define correctness um to play right to play, play right. right yes right so playing <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> so how what's right anyway well how, what does playing right mean yeah, that that's that's the point. Um, I had I had I, I remember um, I, I was playing with an NDR big band very often from yeah I know around, yeah from around two thousand and that was always a challenge because they're all fantastic players and you have to chance 
yeah, you have the chance to, to work with a lot of composers and arrangers, and you have to step in and and deliver something. Yeah. And I I remember when I um, worked the first time with Colin Towns. Um, he he said something to me. I should do this and that and play more this trash kind of percussions and go for it. And at this time, I was a little bit um, um, shy. Maybe hmm. yeah, it, it's like shy. So so if you if you if you book there, this all, these guys are all amazing readers and and, and I know. fantastic players. <laughs> and you come in from the outside, and everybody's watching you. Oh, what 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 did he do wrong now? And things like no, oh it's not God. like this, but but <laughs> uh, but but. You, you you have to do that. So and at this time, so my reading was not like uh, uh, tip top, uh, and and there were sitting there every day and every week sitting there and reading music. So they're all like, this. They look at me and said, "What's what's the problem?" <laughs> <laughs> and I had to learn a lot of things there too. But um, to come to the point is, um, Colin Towns is is uh, as a film composer too so he, I mean that's I think is, is his main thing and um, so it took me a while to realize what he wants from me and um, as I said in the beginning it that that was the, um, for him percussion is always the wild card so mm. put something in the music I do not expect right. So he wrote he wrote charts then later for me and there was nothing in there just the form and I said oh gosh everybody can read and play their parts and I have no idea what to play in this music <laughs> I, will, I wish those were the charts I got in my big band gigs but yeah keep going I'm a shitty yeah. reader so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's slowly getting better with the reading <laughs> Well, no, yeah. but 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 the point was, uh, he he did this kind of things like he put one bar of sixteenth, sixteenth uh, notes in and wrote over this over the sixteenth notes was like, but ignore it. Beautiful. And uh, so he he left it totally up to me what to do, and he wanted this exciting color wild thing that made music more exciting so that was really challenging to to deal with this kind of freedom and that was another point where years later i realized that that uh, uh, colin definitely was a mentor to me because he led me into another i i wouldn't say level but he opened my mind to another way of playing so facilitator. Yeah, he, he gave me the chance to, to grow in his music. Beautiful. And he was patient till till I realized what I could do or, or what I'm able to do. Because his music can be quite complex and you have to have a big overview. But he accepted when I was playing something in, in breaks where I shouldn't play. And he was smiling at me and said, okay, there was too much risk. And, and he said, "No, it was fine." So and so that's this 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 thing I realized um, um, playing right or wrong. So if 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 there's a a break, you shouldn't play. You shouldn't play there. It's very simple. But the fear 
to do something wrong keeps us or kept me a long time away from from some next steps. So mm. I try to play it right, to read properly, to do nice parts and to play interesting fills and to do this and to do that. And that fits in some music and it's perfect. And there's some music like, for example, Collins music, something else is needed from his from his point of view. And so you have to do something else and go over it, whatever happens. And that's sometimes frightening. That's really frightening if you sit in a band with all these amazing players and he says, go for it. That is so cool. And I remember when I was when when I was playing with his uh, with his uh, band in in in, uh, in the UK with his big band the first time I didn't have a rehearsal, and we played at Ronnie Scott's and I came in there and um, I knew Colin and I knew the drummer it was Ralph Salmons, and so if he was in the band you're safe because he's an amazing player he's an amazing big band player, mm. and but. Um, I didn't have this uh, rehearsal and I knew the one half of the program and the second half of the program I never played before. I had some music before and, and, and uh, he sent it three days before that to me. And But if you sit on a stage and have to play it then, um, and don't <laughs> know really what to play because there's nothing in the music to just play this conga pattern or play a conga pattern, whatever you like. But he says, go for it, do something. So that that is really like, ah. Not to mention you're playing at Ronnie Scott's, not not just some random club in the midst of a tour to warm up, but you're bang at at one of the world's most important venues, yeah. It it was bang, I survived. I survived. It was a lot of fun. If you could summarize the most important lesson you you would say you learned out of that experience down to one aspect, what would it be? Uh, just do it. I hear you. Yeah. Don't don't hesitate. Yes. Don't don't be shy, don't be whatever. Yeah. Don't don't hesitate. And yeah. if it goes wrong, enjoy it. I I resonate with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Beautiful. Because then, 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 then you. I think that was for me the step to the the real step to go away from. You have to play it right, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Colin was a very important factor for that. Yeah, very, very inspiring. I guess there's a certain, uh, certain sense of. I almost used the word validation, but it's not validation. It's not validation just from an external source. It's just. Uh, uh, genuine, true um, knowledge of having experienced the truth for yourself that just really gives you an entirely different league of conviction in your musical philosophy or any philosophical or uh, belief. And this story sounds like um, the the kind of event that would instigate exactly Mm. that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Circling back to uh, academic circles, uh, how do you connect these experiences to your um, tutelage as a professor amidst academic circles where uh, the environment is almost like a polar opposite to what Colin told you on stage at Ronnie Scott's? Mm, mm. Um, 
that's yeah. Uh, that's I got a good question because <laughs> I yeah. really like how I formulated that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I maybe can can explain how I work with my students. I think that that makes it maybe clear for me too. Um, so when they start, I I try to first. I, I I throw them a little bit in in the cold water, so mm. I would I explain to them that I would never give them some kind of homework. So I give you this sheet, and please come back next Monday and play that. Beautiful. But I I can't do that. I try or I give them I call it systems, mm. and uh, it's like giving if, if you take a paradiddle or something like that so that's a system for me you learn to you learn to play that and a lot of people play it on a pad that's one way to do it but you can start to fiddle around and put it on on all kinds of instruments and, and start to play with it start to create something and then it takes a little time for the students to realize what I want and the thing f from their side is very, very often, oh, what does he expect from me? And I said, no, I do not expect something from you. Mm. I want you to learn to deal with these things. You have to understand the system and the possibilities that are behind this little thing. So I don't have to write you down 30, 30 pages of this and this and this and this. So if you start to understand the, the cosmos in one bar, you can use everything you get in your, in your hands to develop. And we go through certain systems uh, that they can learn. And uh, it takes sometimes takes a year, maybe even longer. And then they come most of the time, I, yeah, yeah. I think it was just one time it didn't work out really. Uh, and I said, "Now I understand what you want. Mm. Now I understand." And and then it's like, like this this big door is opening, and, and you come into a new room, and you see all these possibilities in this room. And I think that would it would describe it with with all these little things in between that might happen. But um, that's the point. So, in in the best case, at in in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the time they study, they they come up with their own ideas. Nice. And and this 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 is uh, the way for for them. To come into in, into the ensembles at the at the university, so because it's the same thing, it's 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 a jazz institute and it's it's very open to everything. But very often, um, other students are not used to play with a percussion player. So what is he or she doing? Mm. And. Uh, they should be able to to offer something to the music quite fast, and that's the tools with that. So don't think in categories like you have to play a timbao there or this. 
if it's necessary, they should be able to do that, definitely. But they should understand slowly the systems and how uh, how they can put their their words and and their handwriting in the music. I would think. So not use the systems as a destination, but to connect with the music directly. Yes, that's that that that's the point, and and to have tools to to keep going, maybe for the rest of the life if it's necessary to develop things. Man, I wish you were my professor in college. <laughs> my my experience in college was the polar opposite of exactly that. I had a very clear vision of where I wanted to head with my music, but uh, my teacher was just. Uh, well, most of my teachers, they were just, all they really cared about is whether I was ticking their to-do list in the way they wanted to or not. So mm-hmm. uh, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder with regards to this as well. It Eventually it all ended well because I figured out for myself that I survived even that. I managed to cling on to my vision in spite of all the resistance. You know, I, I finished those damn to-do lists yeah. and I still, <laughs> you know, realized my vision on my own terms. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gave me that extra muscle. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, it also uh, resulted in a lot of wounds I'm still working on mm. after all these years and bitterness, which I don't want to have in my space. So I'm very, very happy to uh, to hear of people like you taking the approach you do uh, in teaching. And uh, your students are very blessed to have you as a teacher, I'd say. I hope so. You have to ask them. <laughs> I'd love to sometime. I'd love to, but I, I, I mean, uh, I'm, it's, it's not something that surprises me. You give up that vibe too. It's, you know, it's very evident in the way you approach music. Uh, I mean, you, you probably know I've been following you for a while now on Instagram, and not just Instagram and Jibrana too. And it's, um, it's also palpable in uh, your overall presence and connection to the music. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, I think I, I think it's 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 the challenge. I think it's the challenge of learning in general. It's not only music. I think it's 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 the to deal with freedom. It's it's really it's really hard. Very true. It's really hard because it's. I wouldn't say it's 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 an easy way to if you have this clear facts you have to learn that and that's certainly in music to a certain point too uh, uh, and to to have a certain discipline in going through some things maybe but in the end you should be enabled to to do something and and that should be should be this this freedom aspect in the music and and. The freedom to develop as a person, because in the end, uh, I would say it's it's a to 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 become a musician and and continue developing on it, it's 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 a very complex thing. Music is a complex thing. It's not only the practice aspect; it's a more complex thing. Absolutely, and and. You need you need something that enables you to realize that. I think I completely agree. I guess it's in a way it speaks a lot about the two uh, somewhat um, uh, opposing sides uh, to approaching teaching in the first place. We know one there's the one approach which. Uh, insists that exponential growth happens through the basis of um, uh, concentrating on your strengths mm-hmm. first and the weaknesses just kind of 
kind of take care of themselves if if, if done with uh, mm. sincerity. And there's then there's the other school which is like you know just work on your weaknesses first before you even mm-hmm. decide to focus on your strengths. It's a little more old school and. Uh, Um, yeah, but but we live we live we live here still a lot in this in this um, uh, there's a mistake, but we we don't we don't see that maybe ninety five percent is really good, but we we watch on this five percent, and that that the finger is in this five percent and. Uh, Exactly, and then that five percent it continues to expand to twenty and thirty. Yeah, and right. for 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 those of us who are not conscious of what's actually going on at an energetic level, we end up, uh, ex, you know, we just keep expanding on that five percent until we are in a paradigm where we think <laughs> our entire ap- mm. universe is a problem. You know, there are people mm. who go to that extent as well. So I think there's a lot uh, to be, uh, a lot of caution to be exercised with that. Words of advice in this day and age for uh, musicians, it, no matter what form, as teachers, as practitioners, as students. It's a, it's a very, very, uh, a very, very wild era mm. we're living in, especially for you as a, for, as a percussionist. Uh, in a time and a day and age where people can just download splice packs and loops, what is your word of advice out there for people who want to dedicate their lives to the the art of playing drums and percussion? Um, I talked to a composer recently. I, I will work on the uh, next stage for for a film score, and he said exactly the thing. So there are mm-hmm. all these. And, and I know that because I, I'm, I'm working with this stuff too. So there's so many things you have on this digital uh, tools now. Um, but there's still um, a fantastic way to put something in that is very personal. And um, I think that that is the, the aspect um, you have to 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 activate when you do that. And, and that's the, the, the creative approach. That's, um, that's all these aspects that are not just from technically playing, I'm able to do that. But what is the, the personal thing, the creative approach, and what is the uh, a thing we don't talk very often um, at schools is, um, where is the emotional part of it? And even if you right. play just a little instrument, there's always a, there's always an emotional aspect. And the emotional aspect is if it feels better. And if you're able to give this aspect of you, the emotional aspect and the creative aspect into music, um, then you're quite far, I think. And then you don't have to be afraid of all this stuff. I completely agree with you. May I ask you, since you said that, because that really kind of got me, um, it, it, hit a, it hit a note with me. Why do you think we've been so resistant to the emotional side of it all, these, all this time? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's quite simple. When, when, um, when you're emotional, then you have to open up and that can be dangerous <laughs> you know vulnerability yeah absolutely it's dangerous it's in, 
uh, you're not cool anymore mm -hmm. and you don't have this this thing around you that saves you from harm and and um, I think that's the point and and you can fail or somebody laughs at you laughs at you or somebody uh, tells you 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 do wrong or anything like that and mm. we are afraid to fail and and emotion is it's, it's frightening some people definitely some would say it's that whole masculine uh, state of mind which has played a, a role uh, i mean we could get into an entirely different episode with regards to this i do know that some of my most important teachers have been women too and uh, it's interesting how emotions have always been looked upon as strengths as opposed to uh, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to only an opposite or a counterbalance to the more rational masculine approaches to art but then again i think as artists we always are a little more in touch at least i'd like to think we are a little more in touch with our feminine side because um, what do you have an opinion on this i went on the tangent there again sorry we have but we have we have to emphasize it sometimes we have to emphasize it a little bit more so if you if you see the, the interesting thing i had um um uh yesterday uh, a singer of uh, she came uh, and asked me if I take care of her a bachelor works and uh, we realized if you, if you look at if you look at the structures at the university in the jazz department uh, in in Linz there are not so many women mm. women are singing and sometimes now they play upright bass and now I'm teaching since 2007 and I have the first female percussion player so i thought wow it took so long and i think we 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 have to check out what's the reason here because i remember when i was in i did some some classes in iran back in 2014 and uh, there are much more female drummers and percussion players and interesting uh, yeah, other instrumentalists too. That breaks so many stereotypes. Yeah, but this, it's interesting why, and we should check out why it is like that and in which stereotypes we think. And if we could not take advantage of women playing more whatever percussion, drums, bass, and um, much more, and uh, get their thing, put their thing into teaching and, and maybe other aspects, not only technical aspects, um, playing fast and, and things like that, and be the, the mm. hyped solo player or whatever. I think that could be interesting, definitely. But I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, that, that's an interesting point. And, um, I, I, I sometimes sit in the university and think, oh, it's it's interesting. All women are singing and it's vice versa. When uh, when a guy comes in, he's most of the time yeah. there are just one or two guys singing in the gist department. And why is it like that? And um, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting for me as uh, uh, someone who's, a singer slash instrumentalist and um, I, I, I spent equal time at both mm -hmm. 
um, and again, I'm not playing a victim here, but it's very hard for me to gain acceptance as a singer. I mean, 95 per- times out of 100, most people would just prefer to put me on my on instrument. It's also interesting to mm. notice how my uh, approaches to music um, tend to change a little depending on which role I'm playing in a band. Personally, I feel a lot more comfortable thinking of myself as a singer who plays an instrument than the other way around. Mm-hmm. As I said, like in a mainstream context, if you know what I mean, 95 times out of 100, people just prefer to shut me up and put me behind a stack of behind a stack of keyboards. <laughs> yeah. And it has before they've even heard me sing a note. That's weird. That's weird. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but you see all these all these stereotypes and and all these uh, what what people seem to expect from certain people how they Absolutely. should be or behave or do or not do uh, they're missing the surprise what happens when they let people be the the way they are i completely so agree I completely. just to clarify i wasn't uh, i wasn't uh, by, by any length going as far as to say that I've faced the kind of discrimination most women face in the music industry, because that's a whole different league, I think, mm. uh, to the best of my knowledge. But I was just using a random experience from my, uh, mm. my stream. But I think so, too. This, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's sometimes really hard to, to, for women to go through certain things still, and that is um, a thing we should work on. Definitely. Yeah. How do you think we can contribute as men? The only thing in in this context is is support and and courage and um, help them jump over some things where they think they cannot do it. Why? Nobody knows why. I had that sometimes with, with female singers that came into... There's this percussion basic course and 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 learning a little bit of timing and and uh, rhythmic structures and and things like that. I I call it more ear training. Mm-hmm. It takes a while. I know from myself. I I sometimes it took me quite a while to learn things. Right. And it's not because I'm stupid or anything like that, but it takes the time it takes that that's the way it is and people very often and i realized in this context i had some singers for example that they didn't want to to take this time or uh accept that it might take a little longer for them than it takes for a drum and i said okay this this guy plays drums he should he should be able to do that so take your time and if it takes a month or two months it's okay yeah that makes so much and sense and that's that's sometimes that's sometimes hard to understand for them because not only for women it's it's, it's guys too um, and that they take this time and don't have to be perfect from the beginning self assessment it's a learning pro yeah, it's 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 a learning process. That's why they are studying. Yeah. That's very simple. They have to learn it. It has to be their own goal to get better. It's not not my thing. But I can support them on this way. And if it takes time, it takes time. 
that's the way it is. Matt, to start off with, I love that you call your course ear training because what we usually refer to as ear training in college is actually pitch training. Yeah, but you should do the same with, with rhythm exactly, and time. Exactly. So ear training has always been actually a wrong, the wrong terminology the whole, the whole time. So I love that you use that terminology for your course. And secondly, mm -hmm. I want to say again, I really wish you were my teacher in college. <laughs> Thank you very much for your kind words. No, I'm just saying, I'm, it's yeah, I'm I'm not being kind. I'm just being, I'm just a little sad that you weren't, because you know that sounds like exactly the kind of environment and course and mentality and philosophy I'd like to have grown up around. Well, uh, in college anyway. But but I tell you, it's not always the, the easy way then with me because sometimes it's, uh, uh, I think it's um, uh, we have the luxury to have this. Uh, four eyes uh, uh, teaching situation but it, it takes it takes a long time to find uh, the same language but that's sometimes really hard it's I, not, agree. Uh, um, I agree i think i think i, I realize sometimes that it's really disappointing for my students and it takes time and they go through these deep tales until they come back And uh, that's not always easy. Ah, and yeah. it's not always easy because I think maybe it's the wrong way to do it with them like that. And, and maybe I should offer uh, um, an easier, approachable thing in the teaching. So you practice this and that and then you can play. But yeah, it's, it's not always the, the, the easy way. I know that. And, and it takes time. I totally can relate to exactly what you're saying. I mean, from a student point of view, I remember in college, um, or even though my uh, like major, my piano teacher was um, someone else, my primary mentor during the entire uh, period of my uh, first degree and later on too, uh, was a trumpet player um, called Gary Barone from um, the States. Uh, who used to play with the mm -hmm. likes of Stan Kenton and Buddy Rich and then went on to play with Frank mm -hmm. Zappa. He was a giant of a musician and then uh, towards mm -hmm. the end of his life, he basically retired to this small town in the south of Germany and would teach at our college. Mm -hmm. And it was really crazy. Uh, I'd have students, like some of my uh, colleagues, uh, they'd come out of piano class saying, oh, this was amazing. Now I have 30 new exercises to practice for this week. And I'd go in and say, I'm sorry, I didn't practice one single of the 30 exercises I got this week because I didn't you know, I, I didn't want to. It's like, why the fuck am I practicing these scales now? I, you know, I want to figure out how I want to approach music on my own terms. And I'd notice in the a couple of uh, hallways down, um, uh, some of my uh, friends were studying trumpet are like man I went to the class again he was all like yeah well, how do you want to approach this I just want 30 scales to practice man I was like I wish we should just mm -hmm. trade teachers <laughs> so I can imagine that you know depending on an individual's personal strengths and weaknesses it can be very challenging on either side for both teacher yeah. and yeah. student Uh, both these teachers I refer to, you know, students hated and loved them. I, 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 it's easy for me now to understand what was going on, but when you're in the thick of it, mm. you get a little tricky. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I mean, um, uh, uh, when you think of the, there's a lot of time you spend together. It's like a relationship, and then yes. I think it's it's. Uh, 
you go through everything. You know, it, it, there, there can't be always sunshine in, in these four years. I agree. Or how long they are there. So you have to, you have to be aware of that. And, and you have to be aware of that, too, that they have to dissolve from you in a way. So true. They have to so emancipate yeah. from you. you know, because that, that has to be. So true. And that's sometimes tough, too. And and but they have to uh, ask questions and say no, I don't do it. Like I think that's wrong, and all of that that has to happen. Because I think if you if 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 it if that doesn't happen, you did something wrong in a way. I completely agree. I think the line between being an influence and being baggage on your student is so fine at mm. times. When I teach now, I don't teach at a university level on a regular basis. I've only done that as a guest. It's been a privileged position for me because in both cases, the student asked me to teach them the, for very specific purposes. Mm -hmm. But I did notice that, you know, I had to be really conscious of... In fact, I found myself embodying exactly the aspects of my teachers, which I didn't appreciate at times. And uh, mm -hmm. it taught me to be a little more forgiving on everyone, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but 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 you have to do these steps to 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 realize how how can you deal with this situation? And and I mean, it's the same in music. I have to learn how somebody else plays his parts. And that that's the learning process in the music. I don't. I have to concentrate on learning when I start to play with the drummer. Is I have to learn how he plays the hi hat or, or the right cymbal, and and to find to find a way to work with him and communicate with him. And that's the same with with if you have students. It's you have to find a language that enables both sides. To communicate properly and uh, learn to know what the other side is talking about. So true. And, uh, that takes time. That takes time. Yeah, it's in a way we're we're passing on lineage. So it's it, it kind of um, yeah. It's parenting. Really, it's just almost a lot of pe a lot of people don't realize that sometimes mm -hmm. I think uh, because. The, um, even if if both are musicians, it doesn't mean they talk about the same thing, right? Mm. Very true. Oh yeah, I mean, um, there are musicians I could not survive a cup of coffee with. You think we'd have so much? <laughs> you think we'd have so much in yeah, common, yeah. right? Because we, but you know, I mean, I guess when you love uh, something this deeply, it, it's it's all the tougher to. Accept that someone's perspective of the same thing you of something you love so deeply can be very different. So it kind of yeah triggers me a little. So it's even I guess that's the challenge, though. Mm -hmm. And there's that the because of that there are so many misunderstandings even in this relationship between teachers and students. I think indeed gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice